0: Well, we were just speaking with Saskatchewan's Minister of Justice and Attorney General Bronwyn Eyre about the Saskatchewan First Act, which uh, will allow the province to assert its jurisdiction over its natural resources. Uh, Further assert, it already has jurisdiction over them, but this is to delineate some of those and certainly to try to mitigate some of the alleged harm caused by Ottawa's climate policies, which is really where the problems lie here. So just how much impact are those climate policies, such as the carbon tax, actually having? on a province like Saskatchewan it's worth talking about earlier this month the province released a report called drawing the line defending Saskatchewan's economic autonomy and uh, the province's premier Scott Moe says that uh, so-called quote destructive federal policies could cost our province's economy $111 billion by 2035. So analysis by the Ministry of Finance, as the Attorney General was referring to during our interview, indicates that nine different federal climate change policies are estimated. To cost Saskatchewan's economy that amount, 111 billion between 2023, so next year, and 2035, so in just 12 years' time. So, how true is that? Let's not deal with the constitutionality of all. We talked about that already. Let's just try and talk plain dollars and cents. Now, you've heard their numbers, and you know you're welcome to go read it. I've looked through it. Um, I'm not an economist, so you know those numbers look like they look sounds pretty high to me, but. Those are their numbers. Um, Joining me now is Trevor Toom. He's an economist at the University of Calgary. He's also looked at their numbers. Trevor, thanks for your time tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, Saskatchewan, we're seeing a lot of analysis around the cost of so-called federal environment policies. Um, Let's take the Saskatchewan one that you looked at not so long ago, drawing the line, it was called. How accurate was it? So from just the
1: numbers perspective, I I find it really just an incredible uh, (laughs) piece of work in that they were trying to estimate the cost to Saskatchewan's economy of federal climate policies and came to a number of $111 billion spread over between now and middle of the 2030s which is effectively you know by the the end of their forecast rise in there in the early 2030s about 14% of Alberta's entire economy which oh, is just way yeah. beyond anything yeah. that's credible i mean climate policy will come with a cost for sure there's no free lunch here but it is not something that will shrink Saskatchewan's economy by 14% and and part of the problem there was uh they were only estimating Certain parts of policies and ignoring others. So, take the carbon tax, for example, that does raise revenue from those who purchase gasoline, natural gas, and so on. And then the white paper there in Saskatchewan just assumes that the money is lit on fire when the actual policy is that the money is raised and then rebated lump sum back onto uh, or back to individuals through their income tax system. So, if you ignore uh, how the revenue is used and just presume that it goes up in smoke, then you're going to get a much larger cost than the actual economic costs involved. So it's it's totally fair enough to disagree with federal climate policy. Absolutely. There's big, big scope for productive conversation there, but just to present way uh, out of line estimates, just I think undermines even the credibility of the government to critique federal climate policy in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's, that's where I run into trouble. Cause I think it's fine that the provinces just, you know, Disagree with climate policy, feel like it's targeting them unfairly, specifically, you know, provinces that rely heavily on natural resources uh, for their economies. but in this case if you're going to make a credible argument against it and let's be honest the constitutional argument can be argued to the cows come home but the economic argument I find is really the interesting one because I think that's the one people really care about um so so are we seeing a lot of a lot of sort of playing around with the numbers here I mean do we do we even know what the real cost would be? I think you estimated it was much closer to one percent than 14 percent.
1: Yeah, so estimates do vary, to be sure, and it's hard to be precise on this. But yeah, some credible modeling uh, work suggests that the carbon tax uh, that we're seeing in Canada federally will shave about 0.1% off of annual economic growth. And so that compounds over time. So by 2030, yeah, maybe about 1%. Now, I'd say that it's it's not you know necessarily the case that all opponents of federal climate policy are, are uh, introducing misleading statistics. I mean, Alberta, or at least the former premier here, Premier Kenney was no fan of the federal carbon tax. Um, that's, you know, maybe an understatement there. And when they were elected in 2019, they undertook a study of the economic implications of federal climate policy in Alberta. And it was a very credible well done piece of work involving some external modelers as well and so you can get some reasonable economic costs here, and theirs was on the order of a few tenths of a percent, you know depending on what the assumptions were and they had many who could get over a percent or so in terms of the overall costs, and then there's reduction in employment on the order of a few thousand workers so that that was work that was productive and engaged in a reasonable way in the debate and then we can have a discussion about whether the costs are are worth paying to get the benefits of lower emissions and that's that's totally fair game.
0: Yeah, those are also arguments worth having. One of the things I find interesting too and this was brought up by uh, Premier Scott Moe as well in introducing these numbers that he had presented uh as part of this drawing the line report was that uh these climate policies are hurting investment, and I only say this because having worked for some time in that world, um, it's not the climate policies I found that was hurting investment, it was uncertainty over what climate policies would be. So it's actually the fighting, it's the uncertainty that's causing uh, investment to to shy away a little bit, not necessarily the policies themselves. Is that fair?
1: I'd say that is fair. Even if there was no uncertainty, the policies do increase the cost of emitting greenhouse gas emissions. And so one would expect that investment in activities associated with emissions would decline and shift elsewhere. And indeed, that's the entire intent of the policy in the first place. Uh, But uncertainty just quantitatively matters so much more. Um, And interestingly, uncertainty around climate policy doesn't just affect investment in emitting activities. It also affects investment in things that mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. I'm thinking of carbon capture projects. You're seeing many uh, hold back on fairly large-scale investment because some of these facilities only makes sense if the price on carbon does indeed increase to the levels that are currently projected. And if they end up not, then these CCUS projects might make no sense at all. And so that's why you're seeing now discussions around things that are called contract for differences federally, where effectively the feds guarantee a certain return to these investments, even if the carbon tax is eliminated by a future government.
0: Trevor Tome is with us. He's an economist at the University of Calgary. Uh, we've been talking about uh, really the, the economics of energy. Windfall taxes is a big mm-hmm. one that's been out. I know the federal NDP have been pushing for it. Um, does it make sense in a Canadian context to to have one?
1: Yeah, that depends on what you mean by windfall tax. I mean, we currently have one in place uh, federally and uh, and levied by provincial governments. It's called the corporate income tax. And so each dollar of profit is taxed by provinces and the federal government. Right now, the federal corporate income tax rate is 15%. And so if some factor occurs like an increase in global oil prices that increases the profits of oil and gas companies and the federal government gets 15 cents of each additional dollar. Uh, And so in a sense, there already is that windfall tax in place. It is just there in a way that's uniform across all sectors. It doesn't matter whether you're an oil and gas company or a grocery store or what have you, each dollar of profit that you earn is taxed by the federal government. Now, one can maybe have a discussion around what that corporate income tax rate should be. I think it's fair enough if one prefers it be lower or higher. That's a fair enough discussion. Uh, But to have a supplementary tax levied on just a particular sector, I think you know that put the uh, economics aside can be perceived as potentially unfair. I mean, why would it matter where the profits are being generated? And it's also something that can discourage investment in that sector, which at least at the moment is potentially counterproductive, where we want to see an increase in the supply of energy, especially as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the energy issues in in Europe, and so we might want to see an increase in investment here in in that area. But uh, let me just uh, pause to say that it's not crazy. And Alberta, in its royalty system, does have in place a royalty rate that extracts more, a larger share... Of the value of the resource as oil prices rise, right? So the, the implicit tax that is being placed on oil and gas uh net revenues, revenue after cost, rises from 25 to 40 percent, depending on what oil prices are. Uh, but that's a system that was very thoughtfully and deliberately designed and implemented and, and wasn't just you know, slapped together as a knee jerk reaction to current high oil prices and high oil and gas profits. So I'd say that what we're missing in the conversation, especially federally, uh, by some parties, is a little bit of nuance in that conversation.
0: Yeah, and walk us through that a bit because the European Union uh, did this. Um, you know, the president of the United States is talking about it. I don't think he'll eventually do it, but he's really trying to spur uh, production, right? He doesn't want uh, he wants U.S. oil production to ramp up, given what's mm-hmm. happening with OPEC. Um, but but uh, tell me about how the, e- the European Union one worked because that seems to be where the NDP are getting their inspiration from on this one.
1: So I actually don't know the details of the European Union uh, plan, but what it sounds like the NDP is pushing for here is something along the lines of what Canada already did to banks, which is just to have a special surtax put in place in addition to the existing corporate income tax rate.
0: Um, I, I clearly it would be unpopular where you are. I mean, uh, under any <laughs> circumstance. I mean, and it's already, I mean, we're already fighting over this. So it seems like, I mean, would it be worth the money for, for the kind of animosity you would create, I guess, is the other question. Yeah.
1: Well, we have gone down this road before in Canada. So when we last had a major disruption in global energy markets and a, a sharp spike in oil prices, I mean, we saw that in 1973, 74. And at the time, The federal government did impose effectively a windfall tax. That wasn't what it was referred to, but it was special charges and taxes levied on oil and gas profits and various other policies layered on top of that. And it evolved into uh, what we all not so fondly here remember as the National Energy Program. And so I think if the federal government were to go down that road again, it would spark the same kind of intense don't know the right word, but Western alienation would get inflamed to levels that we haven't seen in a generation or two. And that's already in addition to what is currently a pretty tense environment, if I can put it that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess what the EU have done is they've called it a solidarity levy on on fossil fuel, where, you know, obviously profits have been way up there, but they want to use that revenue to, uh, which is unexpectedly large corporate profits, I don't know how you quantify that, uh, to help households and businesses with increased energy costs. Even in this country, it's not quite clear how we would do that anyway. I mean, do you simply take that extra money and then start funneling it out in checks to individual Canadians? That seems like a, that doesn't seem like it would work so well either.
1: Well, mechanically, it would be fairly easy to implement. It would just be adding an additional levy on top of the existing corporate income tax system, and it would be administered in really precisely the same way. I just think it would have costs that are not worth the benefits. If we do want to have a higher uh, corporate income tax rate, if we do want the government to extract a higher share of profits, well, that's a fair enough conversation to have, but to just unexpectedly introduce a new levy on just a single sector is, well, on the one hand unfair, but also something that would just discourage investment and something that uh, would, as you noted, inflame these federal, provincial and regional tensions to levels we haven't seen in some time. So I'm um, I I am worried by it, but if we want to take this current moment as something that sparks a more thoughtful conversation around maybe how we structure corporate income taxes or royalty systems at the provincial level, you know, that's fair enough. I just would hate to see a policy enacted just uh, spur the moment as a knee-jerk reaction to what we're seeing around the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess what we're running into now is this idea, and we heard it from Stephen Gilboa recently, that... uh that there's this idea that that um you know energy companies are re- are making big profits now although no one was saying this in the height of the pandemic when the price of a barrel of oil was you know <laughs> or at least in Alberta was down around 0 right no one was saying a word uh, but that you know somehow they're raking in all this money and they're not doing enough to uh, you know, to help the environment or so on. And this is one of those pressures that we see coming. That's Um, an
1: important point. I'm glad you raised that. I should have mentioned it earlier that there have been several years of losses by these firms. And so it's a particularly volatile sector to be in and periods where profits are high are in part compensating for periods where profits are low or negative uh, for many years, which is what we've seen.
0: Yeah. And and we're seeing more of the profit Profits coming out this week, right? The profit announcements. Thus, everything come back comes back up again. But, but in a nutshell, and I guess we can leave it after this. But, but uh, these companies. I mean, the profit margins look look great when when obviously the price of oil is so high. But as you mentioned, this is a very volatile business. So we really need to to look at the sort of the long term performance of these companies to see just how much profit they're actually making, right?
1: So I think so. And we do have in in our current corporate income tax system uh, provisions for moving losses from one period to another. So there is implicitly some smoothing that takes place. And if we think that there's some sensible reforms to think about, then again, that's a fair enough conversation to have. But uh, I, especially from the NDP, I'm really not hearing much by way of nuance. They really just want to blame corporations for a lot of the, say, inflationary problems that we're seeing in oil and gas companies in particular. And I think that distracts from a more productive conversation.
0: Trevor, as always, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.